So then, uh, A is for apple. The police asked me lots of questions and made sure I was all right and had friends who would come round if I needed. It was good of them, really. You hear such stories about how little they care about burglary. Now, Miss Waterfield, this man you saw in the lobby of your building, is there anything else about him you can remember? No, officer. As I've said, he he was quite short, wearing a linen suit, with a Panama hat he raised in a greeting. Funny, really. Quite the wrong time of year for that sort of get-up. He was Scottish. I could hear that when he said, Good afternoon, Miss Waterfield. (laughs) Dark hair and, well, nothing else, really. I'm sorry. We've spoken to the other residents. No other strangers were seen in the building. This could well have been your burglar. Goodness. If I'd come back just a few minutes earlier, I might have caught him in... If you're sure nothing's been stolen... Then it's possible he saw you returning, decided to cut his losses. Nothing was taken. I telephoned when I realised someone had been inside. But now that I've looked, I... No, nothing. I've never lied to a constable before. My father would be appalled. But what could I do? The only thing that had gone was a sheet of paper that didn't come from this planet. And... I could hardly explain that, could I? Besides, it wasn't so much a burglary as a trade, I suppose. I don't know what this new thing is. A snuff box or something? But what they've taken... Well, they've taken the last thing I had to remind me of... Jamie. So, A is for apple, and for... and... Ah, well, for and, too, isn't it? Oh, I can hear the sound of it. And B, B is for bread through it. It's kind of daft, but I like the smells of the new world's best. They weren't always pleasant, but they were always different. They remind me of my new life, of my new friends, of of being somewhere I'd never have dreamed of before I met the doctor. Oh, Jamie, doctor, it smells divine. Uh, Yes, it is rather lovely, isn't it? The sky seemed to explode. Suddenly, this beautiful place was all noise and flame. I tensed. My time with the doctor told me this was usually the start of an attack or invasion. As we watched, spacecraft dropped peacefully from the sky. 
floating down like thistle seeds on clouds of smoke. Exploration craft, I guess, although I have never seen so many in one go. The smaller ships headed off in all sorts of directions, disappearing behind forests, mountains. But the biggest one stayed the course and landed close by. It's funny the tricks that distance plays, as close up what had been a tiny speck now loomed high over us. It hadn't been landed more than a moment when ramps opened and people and big wheeled vehicles emerged. The vehicles headed off quickly like they were late for something, while the people dragged large boxes on wheels, talking happily with each other with voices that carried over to us. A woman was approaching. She wore the same uniform as the others, but also a, a strange, beautiful sort of mask or, or headdress thing which hid most of her face. Across her forehead glowed a set of numbers. The doctor's always told me it's rude to stare, but it was hard not to. She had been talking to first one group, then another. They talked to her as if shy. Then she'd hand them something and move on, leaving the group behind her to nudge each other excitedly. Now it seemed our turn. She gave the doctor a wee thin book. Welcome to Amarinda. Here's your joining pack. Can I take your names? Uh, yes, uh, I'm the doctor. Uh, this is Victoria, uh, uh, Jamie. It's uh, a pleasure uh, to meet you. Uh, um, uh, oh, yes. Very funny. Uh, oh, I, I didn't mean to be rude. Uh, we just don't know who you are. Will you please just tell me which expedition team you're with? Ah, well, uh, uh, we're rather our own team, I suppose. I think Professor Tyne is still looking for volunteers. That's over in the main ship rather than the field sites. Sorry, but you should have been here more quickly. The doctor seemed far from disappointed. A groan as I saw his face light up. The woman moved on to speak to the next group, and I heard someone call her Celsi, as if they'd known her all their lives. I hoped she wasn't the ruler or something. The doctor had opened the pack he'd been given, revealing a, a slim book. I looked over his shoulder as he opened it, and both of us reacted in surprise as the words there moved. I'd never had the knowing of reading, but I was pretty sure this wasn't how it worked. Welcome to Amarinda. How funny. It, it's like something from Alice in Wonderland. How are the words moving, Doctor? The book was just a few pages, but as the Doctor turned each one, some of the words moved with him while pictures grew or, or shrank. It felt like something living. Uh, at this point in time, it's called parchment, I, I, I think. A type of virtual paper, computer-driven ink on a responsive backing. It senses when it's being looked at, or when, it, when it thinks you're going to look at next, and, and tries to help you. That little booklet can do all that, Doctor. Oh, no, 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 Victoria. It should be linked to some large data hub somewhere, like a, a big library, you see, and, and it gets the information from there as you need it. He used the booklet as a fan for a moment, his shock of black hair flapping in the breeze as he cast an excited eye over the activity around us. Even when everything becomes electronic or held on computer, people never lose the desire to, to touch a book as they're reading it, to have pages they can turn in their hands. The doctor opened the wee book again and turned the pages. You could see the words changing as he did so, as the thing read him as he was reading it. Whew, give me the willies. Oh my, this is fascinating. They're data archaeologists. Archaeologists? Like Professor Parry on Delos? Uh, something like that, Victoria, yes. Uh, only they specialise in information, you see. Uh, how it's been used by a civilization, what it says about them. 
you gather a picture of a people by the language they used, the, the stories they told, the, the, the things they thought worth writing down. Though it's a, a rare discipline, this planet must have a fascinating history to need so many. Oh, I'm sure they could use some help. The HQ was in the big spaceship. Nobody paid us any attention as we entered. They were working away at screens or studying maps on the strange parchment that changed itself as you watched. The doctor quietly guided us to seats at the back. Victoria and I exchanged a long-suffering look. As we listened, people appeared on the screens, reporting in as they established their base camps, each one with a, a peculiar name like... Kirovsky or, or Gorin. The doctor was playing with the book, looking up the words, and I saw a flicker of uncertainty on his face. He frowned as if unhappy about something. Victoria had noticed it too. Is there something wrong, doctor? I don't say there is. It seems so beautiful here. Now that's just it, you see, uh, Victoria. It is lovely. It's perfect, in fact. Throughout the universe, you need certain conditions to be right in order for life to develop. Well, life as you know it. And this world is spot on in every sense. Oh, aye, it's great, Doctor. Better than those desert walls we've seen. Full of trees, buds, full of life. It's lovely, isn't it? If the archaeologists are here, it's to look at ruins. But this should be a perfect environment for life. I wonder what happened. Oh, I'm sure I'll get to the bottom of it. Now, Doctor, here you go again, getting involved. And so, of course, the Doctor got involved. Nobody asked us where we come from. They all assumed we'd arrived in one of the other spaceships, and they just welcomed the Doctor's experience. It was positively unique. In all the times we found ourselves meeting people on alien planets. Alien planets? <laughs> Goodness, I still say these things as if they were normal. People realised the Doctor's knowledge would be a huge help. Jamie and I were almost forgotten about, until that Celsi woman put us on supply duties. And that wasn't too bad, not bad at all. Walking on that beautiful planet, looking for fruits and vegetables that grew in abundance. I can't believe we're still here. How much longer is the doctor going to be helping them? My father used to be the same. When he encountered a problem he couldn't solve, he'd find cold dinners outside his door. I'd smell his pipe smoke in the middle of the night. He's a scientist, Jamie. Sometimes it's how they work. Aye, leaving us to walk through the woods, picking apples and, and uh, well, the other things on that there list she gave you. Uh, apples, breadfruit, cherries, damsons. Could uh, you not teach me that? Teach you what? The, the reading. Do you mean you can't... Oh, oh yes, Jamie, of course, I, I, I'd be proud to. Look, let's sit down here. I've got a blank sheet of that parchment. I'll just unfold it and... Oh, it did it for itself. So, if it will let me, I'll just draw with my finger. There, 
So this first letter, it's an A. It makes an ah sound. Like an apple. Like on the list there. That's right. Ah, so then. Uh, A is for apple. I didn't get on with that parchment stuff. One day, I'd got a sheet of it, and I'd planned to make a paper boat, like Ben had shown me, for Victoria. Uh, maybe with letters written on it. A to E, certainly. <laughs> I knew those. We'd found a bonny wee pond when we were getting supplies, and it would have been perfect for it. But first of all, the sheet fluttered with words. Then, when I started trying to fold it, it kept on making itself go flat again. One time, I thought I'd got it, but my little boat unfolded again until I was back where I started. It wasn't even creased. I found Celsie watching me, and although there was little of her face to make out under that mask she wore, her eyes were laughing, although not unkindly. She seemed different in the last few days. It wasn't just the numbers at the top of the mask changing, although they had. But for, for someone I thought was royalty on first meeting, now the people here treated her with less and less respect. I'd seen her running around, asking them for something to do, but they laughed at her for it. She nodded at the sheet of parchment. The parchment has micro-motor cells that can repair any damage from a tear to a fold. That sounds like a lot of effort to put into a piece of paper. How could you not know this? Ah, well, you know, uh... Was there something you wanted, Miss Celsie? It's your friend, the doctor. Can you come? He's got ever so worked up. Victoria's still gathering supplies. I'll just get her and we'll be right there. He's been shouting at all the scientists. Aye, he does that. When we got there, the doctor was at the front of a group of people talking to them like a preacher on a Sunday. They were following his words on more sheets of that parchment stuff. As I went past, it showed rough drawings of huge monsters. Aye, monsters. I knew we'd get down to that eventually. The doctor saw Victoria and me. He was already worked up, but somehow we made him worse. Be more cautious, much more cautious. If you look at the notes I've given you, Corvin Base has unearthed evidence of hunter-gatherer settlements, all of which died out shortly after cave paintings of savage, four-armed creatures started appearing in their records. None of you can deny this now, can you? One of the scientists, a, a sniffy, impatient man, pointed out to the doctor that the other research sites were reporting similar, that evidence of terrible monsters had been reported, monsters which thankfully seemed to have died out. But that's just it, don't you see? You, you, you've all assumed the monsters are gone because you found no evidence. But at one point, these creatures were real enough that villages starved to death rather than risk confronting what was in the woods. You, uh, Genderbred, you found remains of an Iron Age level town which had torn itself apart in panic when monsters were sighted beyond the walls. The man the doctor spoke to agreed saying they were bound to find remains soon and identify what these creatures had been before they went extinct. If they are extinct, if you go looking for something and don't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there. The doctor was biting his nails. Another of the scientists asked how high-tech satellite scans and automated probes could have revealed nothing. At that, the doctor stopped his fretful pacing and looked glum. If they're intelligent enough to know you're looking for them... Maybe they're intelligent enough to hide. 
A hush fell on the room. A few of the scientists laughed at how spooked the doctor had got them. And then Celsi came in to say that Garrick Base had missed reporting in for the night. The communications room was full of screens and littered with discarded sheets of the parchment they used for their records. A scientist was sitting at a desk, an alarm sounding, urgently asking over and over for Garrick Base to report in. Over and over, there was no answer from the blank screen above her. The doctor tried a few times too, then muted the alarm, checked some readings and played with some switches. I've seen that before. Sometimes the doctor thinks with his fingers, giving them something to do while his brain goes to work. Doctor, what is it? Are they... I, I, I don't know, Victoria. And I'm very afraid there's only one way to find out. The doctor looked at Victoria and I, and I could see he couldn't make up his mind. This was usually when I had to help out. Are you going out there? The doctor frowned at the screen, as if willing it to come to life. He was muttering under his breath ticking off options on his fingers. And we'll come with you. He didn't hear me for a moment, coming to the end of whatever thought was going on. And then he blinked, like someone waking up. What? Uh, No, 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 Jamie. Uh, uh, You and Victoria stay here where you'll be safe. But safe from what, Doctor? If you don't know, then we're just as safe there as we are here. So we're going with you. Victoria didn't look so sure. But like me, she wanted the three of us to stay together. So... She agreed quietly, and before long, the doctor had bundled us into one of those base vehicles, and we were on our way. There were all sorts of signs of life during the journey to Garrick Base. Celsi was driving, and she pointed out flocks of blue buds, catching the sunlight as they wheeled through the air. At another point, there were animals not quite like rabbits, scurrying chaotically away from the vehicles we passed. But all that life just contrasted more and more with not hearing from Garrick Base. The doctor kept trying on the radio with as much luck as the first time. After a while, Celsi stopped pointing things out and we just drove in silence. See, uh, uh, Jamie, you two come along. Uh, uh, Victoria. Be careful, both of you. Stay stay close to me, Jamie. We uh, don't know what we're going to find, although I try not to think the worst. Uh, in this case, I can't believe it, though. I saw Garrick Base report in yesterday. They were about to bake potatoes, sing songs and, and tell stories around the campfire. Uh, and, and now we're saying... That I mean, most of them are still even sitting around the fire. I can't see any wounds. No indication of a physical attack. Signs of asphyxia in a few of them, but still sitting cross-legged. But whatever happened, it happened quickly, and it's like nothing ever described on this world. All that talk of monsters here, Doctor, but how could any of them do this? That... Vital question. Got is for. Oh, no, you, you said 
The G. G is for grapefruit. It's grapefruit. But it sounds like gar when you say it then, doesn't it? And you said... Sometimes in English it sounds one way and is spelled another. Oh, no wonder us Scots have always mistrusted the English. Even the language is twisty-turny. Oh, uh, present company accepted. The doctor had been unusually quiet when we drove back from Garrick Base. Once or twice I caught him looking at the two of us, at Victoria and I. When he asked Celsie to stop the vehicle, we got out to find he'd stopped us right beside the TARDIS. We're not leaving them, are we, Doctor? Do you know what it was, back at Garrick Base? Not a clue. But there's something here on the planet. And perhaps I've exposed us all. If it's a pathogen. But if it isn't... Right, both of you, come along. I don't understand, Doctor. Where are we going? We're not going anywhere, are we? You're going back out there... But you don't want us with you. It shouldn't be for long, Jamie. I think Victoria, but you'll be much safer in here than out there. At least until I know what's out there. But, Doctor, how will... Please, please. Just for now. I've shown you how to use the food machine, haven't I? In case you get hungry. Hungry? How long are you going to be gone? I mean, what if something does happen to you? I'm sure it won't come to that, but if it does, just stay in the TARDIS. You'll always be safe in the TARDIS. There are some people I know who'll find it if it stays here for a while, and they'll get you home. So, you see, there's absolutely nothing to worry about, is there? Uh, Johnny Good, uh, you'll you'll barely notice I've gone. Uh, Just don't go outside. And he left us. The doctor left us. Victoria and I watched him get back into the vehicle and drive away. I wanted to dash straight out there and follow, but I could tell the doctor's reassurances had, as usual had the opposite effect on Victoria. So, I took out that sheet of the parchment stuff, moved my finger down the list and carried on. (sighs) Come on then, we might as well do something with the time after all. Here we go. N is for... Time was funny in the TARDIS, like when you're looking forward to something and you wait and wait and everything seems so slow. And then other times, you'd swear everything was happening at once. Victoria and I went on with the reading for a time, neither of us looking at the scanner. We tried the food machine, but in the end admitted that neither of us was hungry. Time was funny in the TARDIS. I think it always is, when you're scared. Even now I can still remember the shock of the doctor leaving us, thinking we were safe. But that was how he was. He always did things with the best of intentions, even when he didn't understand us at all. What he'd done had made sense to him. Jamie and I practised his reading, but we were both worried. What if it was just the two of us left there? Like something out of a fairy tale, locked in a castle by a well-meaning wizard. (laughs) I think Jamie and I talked more then, just the two of us, than at any other time. 
Yet now that I try and think about it, I can't remember anything we said. Nothing important, I suppose. But sometimes it's not what you say, but how you say it. I came to a decision right then that we had to find the doctor, even if it meant leaving the TARDIS, because that was the most important thing then, wasn't it? You'll no be happy about this. I didn't hear you hesitate when I suggested it, Jamie McCrimmon. I'm not saying it's not a good idea, mind. It's so quiet. Where is everyone? Maybe they're all in the base there. Yes. Yes, that must be it. Come along. We walked the short distance to the base. It had seemed so solid when everything was fine, but now it seemed flimsy, flapping with shadows in the light breeze. Victoria and I hesitated to go any further. The doorway was dark, and that was wrong. It was down to me. I was going to lead the way. Sometimes I hate having to be the strong one. Jamie, look! Who's that driving? It's... I think it's Celsie, isn't it? I wonder where she's been. And why is she driving so fast? It was Celsie. She hurried out of the vehicle, looking at us with fuss relief and then confusion. What are you two doing here? The doctor said he'd left you safe. I didn't really have an answer for her. The darkness of the base was worrying me. Celsie followed my gaze and seemed to pick up on it too. Your doctor friend wanted to go over to Gorin Base, so I took him, and then I tried to find out where they wanted me next, and no one here would answer my calls. It was only then, as her words sunk in, that we all heard it. There was a noise coming from inside the base. I recognised the sound. It was the one we'd heard when Garrick Base didn't report in. Celsie tutted, and we followed her as she went to turn it off. We had bigger problems. We nearly bumped into Celsie when we got to the communications room. She stood frozen in the doorway, her mouth open in dismay. On the communications board, light after light was coming on, flashing away, alarms sounding in distress as camp after camp missed reporting in. There was no one here. The room was a mess, scattered with papers like a storm had blown through it. I don't understand it. She pressed some control and the alarms went quiet. She looked at us in confusion. There's nothing dangerous on this world. There can't be. We've checked over and over. We wouldn't have come here. And it was Victoria who realised the worst thing first. Jamie, there, Gorin Base. They haven't reported in either. So? But the doctor was there. The sheets of parchment there. And, and, and there. It's all flooding with words. That, that one too. And that one. It's all going so fast. I can't read it. Oh! It moved. How did it do that? It, it folded itself into a creature. Each sheet has motor cells, but I've never seen it do this. Jamie! Jamie, get back. That one's going to get it ready to jump. Jump? What are you talking about? Ah! It was going for my face! Ah! Quick, they're trying to cut us off. Get out while we can. But the doctor! Victoria, it's just us for now. When I say run, run. Run! 
It was Victoria who realised the worst thing first. Jamie, there, Gorin Base. They haven't reported in either. So? But the doctor was there. The sheets of parchment there. And, and there. It's all flooding with words. That, that one too. And that one. It's all going so fast. I can't read it. Oh! It moved. How did it do that? It, it folded itself into a creature. Each sheet has motor cells, Puff. Never seen it do this. Jamie! Jamie, get back! That, that one's going to get it ready to jump! Jump? What are you talking about? Ah! It was going for my face! Oh! Quick! They're trying to cut us off! Get out while we can! But the doctor! Victoria! It's just us for now! When I say run, run! While there's always fear in those moments, it's a fear magnified by loneliness. I don't think Jamie ever even felt it, or the doctor ever understood it. But when your life is threatened, when the monsters come, you do what you always do. You think of home, of a place you can reach that is safe, a familiar door you can bolt behind you. For me, that would have been my father's house. There was a door there so high, I would have needed a chair if I wanted to throw the top bolt. And that was all gone. Fear, then, wears clothes of loneliness and homesickness for people and a home you can't get back to. I swatted the fuss of the wee paper beasties away, but it seemed every sheet of the parchment was folding itself up into more of them, flapping things, their surfaces running with the moving words like the shine of a crow's feathers. I shouted at Celsie and Victoria to head for the door and went after them. Celsie wanted us to try and find the other people in our base, but Victoria and I both knew where the best hope would be, the doctor. We needed to find him first. He'd sort it out. I always did. So we took one of the base vehicles, climbing up into the cabin. Celsie getting behind the controls and starting up. The beasties fluttered against the glass, spilling out from the base like disturbed ants. Celsie whirled the vehicle suddenly backward, crushing the wee things beneath the huge wheels. Victoria and I went flying. But as we picked ourselves up and Celsie started to drive us forward and away, I could see the flattened sheets already folding themselves up out of tyre tracks, back into the creatures. They disappeared into the distance as Celsie increased our speed. But I had a sense they hadn't given up. 
P is for Pika, huh? What's that supposed to be? Peach? That's not a cut sound. Oh, why? Chia. Ah, I think I'm getting there, you know. I can't see anyone. Keep trying the radio, Celsi, and wait here in case we have to leave quickly. Wait for me, Jamie. Would you no rather stay with Celsi? We'll find the doctor together. Aye, all right then. But stay close. Uh, we'll try over there. There wasn't a sound. Not from people, anyway. As ever, the planet sounded full of life. But not the right kind. And we'd not gone far before... There! Oh, Jamie, it's night before. They're all dead. Aye, well, well, hold on. This isn't everyone. Step back, I'm going to turn this one over. His face! What's that? It's a sheet of parchment. The man's face was almost completely masked by one of the sheets stretched tight across his eyes. I could see the words streaming across it, lines and pictures flickering. And there, I saw the man move an arm, just slightly, so maybe there was hope. Oh, come off. Come on, you beastie. The man looked like he was waking up, blinking at us in confusion. I was too busy trying to see what had happened to the sheet which had repaired itself and scuttled away. Jamie, Jamie, come here. I found the doctor. I hurried over to Victoria, and she was right. Although his face was all but hidden under another stretched living sheet of parchment, I'd know those baggy clothes anywhere. Slowly this time, I tugged the paper away. Freedom of wild endeavour. Why, why, it's such a, a, an honour. I, I, I couldn't possibly... Uh, Jamie, uh, Victoria, how did you get here so quickly? Uh, I would have hoped you'd stay in the TARDIS for more than a few minutes, you know. Doctor, it's been a day at least. Rubbish, Jamie. Uh, oh. My word. What's been going on here? Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yes, it's, it's all coming back to me now. The parchment. Aye, they seem to come to life back at the base, turning into some wee beasties that went for your face. For the eyes, Jamie. So that you had to read what they had to say. I, I was suddenly so very fascinated. The doctor looked worried. He smiled when Victoria asked how he felt and brushed the question off, but... I've known the doctor too long to be fooled like that. He didn't know what had happened. As far as he was concerned, he'd only just left Victoria and I back at the TARDIS. We watched as the man we'd helped started looking after his colleagues. The tight parchment on each face crackled angrily and then reshaped itself and scuttled away. I didn't like the thought of them out there and suggested to the doctor we track them down. <laughs> he huffed his cheeks out with another expression I recognised. At times... The man was a peddler of bad news. That's, that's more prevention than cure. I think the threat here is a lot more than the parchment, Jamie. Remember, whole civilizations died out before the archaeologists arrived. The parchment itself isn't the threat, but it may be being used by one. I gave Victoria a smile, and we busied ourselves helping some of the people that had seemed almost dead. They remembered nothing, all of them weak, and they seemed disappointed as if they'd lost something wonderful. Behind us, the doctor spoke to Kelsey, the woman in charge. 
She was already trying to get in touch with the other bases, but was most concerned about the system that operated the parchment. She was going to get someone called Diagnostics to look into it. Funny how we could be galaxies and galaxies from Britain and still run into a Welshman. Right, I know you won't want to leave now, so what's next? The doctor's keen blue eyes had locked onto the old ruins of a town. There wasn't much of it left, spilling out of the caves in the hillside, but his curiosity was obvious. He stretched an arm to point at the caves and smiled. There, I think. Gorin Base was set up at the biggest ruins on the planet. I don't think it's a coincidence it was one of the first to be attacked. So, let's see what it's hiding, shall we? Celsie came with us, with a radio keeping in touch with the people outside of the caves. Everyone was a bit jumpy now, except the doctor, of course. He seemed to have shrugged off being so close to death. I've said it before, but times like that just seem to encourage him. It's like telling a bear not to do something. Outside the caves, the old town was just rubble, picked over by the wind and rain, shrouded with vegetation. We made our way over it, carefully, watching out for... Look out! But it was just a wee creature like a cat. We'd all thought it was the parchment beasties again. For the moment, they were laying low, and that was almost worse than being attacked by them. We pushed on, and the doctor led us into the caves. It was different inside, a bit magical. Stalactites had started to grow, gleaming like ice in the light from outside. The doctor brought out a torch, shining around. We moved deeper inside. It got colder. And the whole time I kept my eye out for those parchment things. Doctor, look at the wall. They're pictograms, aren't they? There's so many. Oh, well, yeah. Let's have a proper look, shall we? Yeah. Ah. Yes, you're absolutely right, Victoria. They are pictograms. Like what do you mean? Uh, yes, 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 yes. It's an early form of writing. Quite a vocabulary here. Oh, ah, yeah. Yes, I, I think it's some sort of history. Uh, now let's just find myself a pad. Yes, this shouldn't take too long to work out. I exchanged a look with Victoria. She smiled back, but when I looked to Celsi, I could tell there was something wrong. She was playing with her communicator, pressing at it over and over. When I asked her if something was wrong, she looked back and told me she couldn't get any response from outside. The doctor was distracted, but he reckoned we were probably too far into the caves. But that didn't seem to calm Celsi, nor me. So we decided I'd go back with her to the camp to report in, and Victoria would keep the doctor out of mischief. I'm not sure he even heard the decision, peering as he was at the pictograms and furiously making notes. I shrugged at Victoria and Celsi and I headed away. My father trusted the doctor, trusted him with me. In retrospect, I don't think the doctor really understood what was being asked of him, not in human terms. He's never really been father material, though, in his way, he tried. 
But when we were in the caves on Amarinda, it was for a short while like being with my father again. I sat, making encouraging noises, to a man unaware that I didn't understand the theories he muttered and mumbled to himself. He'd make the occasional noise of triumph, and his face would light up as he jotted something down. And somehow he always made me feel as though I'd had something to do with it, although he never said as much. I know my father didn't miss my mother quite so much in those moments. And that day in the cave, I wondered if perhaps it was the same for the doctor. But there wasn't time to ask. I helped as I could, spotting reoccurrences of symbols as the doctor identified them and letting him work out how they tied together. For a brief while, I was enjoying it. I felt useful and... But then the doctor stopped. He went back through the pages in his notebook, checking something. Then again, his face darkened, and there was that expression I hated. A mouth working, unspeaking, as he tried to contemplate something terrible. Even now, I can still remember the shiver it gave me. I asked him what was wrong. He didn't speak for a moment looking at the pictograms, as if to confirm a darkest thought. He said slowly that it was a history of the settlement, but one that had realised something was wrong on the planet. Like the scientists, they found other, earlier settlements, all of which had self-destructed through fear when the monsters came. And the pictograms spoke of the monsters too. Now nothing, no detail, no description could be agreed. No trace could be found. And after much consideration, the pictograms had made a realisation. Seven words, which told why Amarinda was such a dangerous place. And yet, why no threat had ever been found. The doctor's face was glum as he read those words. It lives in the stories we tell. I'd hope we get outside the caves and see Celsius people there that we've been worrying about nothing but a, a fault in the radio. But there was no one in sight. And I knew it had gone wrong again. Celsius and I crept onward starting at every noise in the bushes, at every change in the wind. We hid behind some rubble, and I tried to look like I knew what I was doing. But something else had been bothering Celsi. You're aliens, aren't you? The three of you? We're all aliens here, aren't we? Oh, you know what I mean. We're from Earth. <laughs> Here's a word I've not heard in a long time. And it explains why you didn't know who I am. Uh, so, if you don't mind me asking, uh, who are you then? I'm Celsi. I'm a face. One of the greatest of them in theoretical. call. A face? Oh, is, is that like a king or something? Are you royalty? Maybe. Sort of. People look at us, look up to us. See that number on my mask? In the last year, that, that account of all the people who've looked at me, 
It marks my status in society. I've seen it changing. Yeah, it's going down. I've taken a gamble, you see. This was the first off-world expedition that a face could go on. And all the others had had good years with their businesses, their political influence, their starring roles. So I thought, if a face had been to another world, they'd all look at me again. My numbers would drop while I was away, but on my return... You don't seem that happy about it. No, it'll still work. It's just... I've done nothing here. People have been dying and unregarded unknowns like you have stepped up and helped out. Aye, you're welcome. And the best I could do was drive you around. On theorists' call, I was asked about policy decisions. If I attended an opening, they needed security to disperse the crowds. People would faint if I spoke to them. When you take all that away... Aye, must be terrible for you. Well, now maybe we can push on, see what's happening. Yes. Yes, all right. When we reached the camp, we had our answer. The people we'd left behind only an hour before were sprawled around again like discarded toys. Every face was covered in a mass of the parchment creatures, flapping like a swarm of butterflies feeding on heather. Celsi began to cry at the deaths, but I'd seen someone twitch. I remembered the last attack. How we'd got there just in time. Maybe this would be the same. And then we were spotted. The parchment sheets came from all directions, darting up our bodies with prickly feet of folded paper. Celsi gave a cry of revulsion, swatting the thing away. I tried to as well. Then I saw one creature unfold itself back into a sheet of the parchment, and it covered the woman's face so tight I could see her mouth under it, working in a silent cry. Then she froze. The sheet of paper was full of words and images, streaming and flowing so fast, and she seemed spellbound under it. I'd been distracted, and just in time fought off one of the things, then another. Luck ran out. And suddenly I was blinded under a tight, smooth, pale blindfold that pulled itself onto my face. I could hardly breathe. Words streamed over and over through my vision. I, I had to find the strength Fight! Fight back! And the thing fell away. I wish I could say I'd bested it, but it just left me. The other paper creatures turned and scurried away. I wasn't going to waste an opportunity, so I went over to Celsius and cleared the thing off her. Like the doctor before her, it was as if she'd woken up. She looked at me, utterly lost for a moment, as if something precious had been taken away before saying my name and looking around in realisation. After that, we worked quickly, looking out for each other. We freed Kelsnit, the leader of this camp, and then more of the scientists. If you stopped the things coming up behind you, you could fight them off. And the more people we freed, the more they could watch out. The parchment things seemed to realise they were beaten, and in the blink of an eye, they'd vanished into the bushes and shadows. I worried they were going to regroup and started to carefully try and see where they'd gone. Behind me, Kelsnick had finished checking everyone had been freed in time. The whole mission was a failure, she decided. As the sites had all broken down their little ships into base camps, they'd have to head back to the main ship, prepare for launch, then leave this planet and give instructions that no one was to return. Celsi pointed out that the Doctor and Victoria were still in the cave. 
She wasn't to know we had the TARDIS, and to be honest, I liked the idea of leaving, so I agreed with her that we had to get them out. Kelsnick was serious then. A call had gone out across the planet. Any survivors would be heading for the main ship. We'd have to be quick, she said, as they'd not wait for any of us. S is for... Oh, sorry, I was uh, somewhere else. Anyway, um, S. S is for sun. I can remember that. We hurried back to the Doctor and Victoria. I'd half worried we'd find them at the mercy of those parchment creatures, but instead... They were busy talking and looking at the odd picture-shaped things Victoria had found. I told them what had happened outside. The doctor listened carefully, asked me about when I was attacked. Then he looked to Celsi. He wanted to know how it had been for her. To my surprise, Celsi suddenly became enthusiastic. Her eyes almost glowed. It was everything I'd wanted. I was the most looked-at person ever. My numbers were so high. All of the others were defaced and left to be poor, normal people. There was just me. I could do whatever I wanted. Give a smile or a word of wisdom and we worshipped for it. There would be no end to Stop! Me. Stop, please! Hopefully stop before any harm was done. Yes, I, I'm sorry, my dear. I didn't mean to shout, but you see, uh, you were becoming part of it. Part of what, Doctor? The Doctor deciphered these symbols. They talk about the planet, about what's really wrong here. Uh, uh, Jamie, you, you were lucky to be able to fight the attack off. It seems you, uh, uh, you've been a bit distracted when Victoria's been trying to teach you to read, haven't you? Well, no, no, Doctor, no, 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 and it saved you. Celsi here, you see, she could read the stories and they gave her everything she wanted so that she wanted to tell everyone else to spread the story on. Why, really, when you, when you think about it, it's the most natural thing of all in a life form. You mean, the parchment's alive. Not the parchment, Jamie, no. The stories on this world, they're a, a sort of life form, a, a story form, if you will. It encountered life here and gave people thrilling tales of horrific monsters of being trapped by them and in danger. And those are powerful stories, aren't they? So naturally, they told them to each other, spreading the story until the fear became too much, panic broke out, and each settlement destroyed itself out of fear. So there weren't any monsters at all? That's right, Victoria. Just stories of them. It's primitive, little more than a virus, but slowly evolving. Each time it's encountered someone capable of telling a story, of passing itself on, it's adapted how it worked. Each society that collapsed... They got a little bit further, didn't they? Maybe one day life will survive here, They're telling the most wonderful stories ever. Oh, oh I, should, I should like to see that. Yes, uh, but, but this time it, it encountered the purest medium ever and wasn't ready for it. Part of it, you see, is created to scan the eye, to see what's being looked at, to offer the information it thinks you want. For this story form, it's the perfect way of replicating itself. And with all the parchments, little motors and things, the story form could make you read it. But the scientists here, they weren't scared, were they? 
Different stories for different cultures, Victoria. We saw it with Celsi just now. And the parchment makes the story form far, far more efficient. It becomes so captivating you even forget you're trapped. You forget everything except the story. And eventually you forget to eat, to breathe. So fascinated that your heart could even stop. Ah, I should imagine the first team here woke up with their campfire stories. And once they had, and the parchment computer system was infected, it was too late. That's horrible. Nice. Just as well the scientists are all leaving then. Yes, yes, it is. What? What? Oh, no. Why didn't you say? But surely that's all right, Doctor, if they all leave it behind. That's just it, though. They won't leave it behind. They've taken it with them. Come on. I started to run after him, then realised Celsi was just standing there, gazing up at the pictograms. You all right, Celsi? The Doctor didn't think you'd be infected. We're all sort of infected, aren't we? On our planet, anyway. Wanting to believe in our stories so much, but never really questioning what they're about or what they mean. Well, it won't mean anything if we don't get after the Doctor, Celsi. Come on! And we ran after the Doctor. We caught up with him at the mouth of the cave where he was looking down at the remains of the base camp. As the scientists had said, they'd all headed back to the main rocket, and the parchment creatures were everywhere, wondering where their prey had gone. Celsi had tried to contact her colleagues on the radio, but there'd been no answer. She crept away to get her vehicle started. The story for is in the system now, in the expedition's primary data hub, controlling the parchment. But that talks to the main spaceship. If they returned that to their homeworld, well, it would be an extinction event. What can we do? Can we not stop the rocket ticking off? Yeah, yeah, yes, Jamie. That, that's the thought. Delay the launch anyway until we can reset the data hub. That's probably all we need to do. Oh, Doctor, they've got a head start. What if they take off before we get there? That's a good job we've got a lift. Good work, Celsi. Uh, come on. Oh, 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 my word. The parchment realise we're here. Victoria, you first. That's it. Now, Doctor, you next. No, no, you next, Jamie. Aye, or we could just try at the same time. And we drove as fast as we could, hoping we weren't already too late. Celsi told the doctor that the engines on the main ship had proximity detectors. If she could get her vehicle close enough, they would automatically shut down. The doctor smiled at what he said was the first bit of good news all day. But we had to get there first. Twice we nearly crashed, half bouncing into the air when the ground suddenly dropped away for a second. I wondered if those parchment creatures were behind us. How fast could they move? Could they work out what was planned? And eventually, after what felt like an age, Celsi slowed down. Ahead was a fat sphere of a hut covered in spindly aerials what the doctor identified as this data hub thing. He and I got out. Victoria would be safer in the vehicle, and we said we'd see her in a minute. Celsi seemed to have something on her mind as she and Victoria drove off. We hurried inside. Ah, oh, this is all beyond me. It looks worse than the TARDIS in here. 
quite simple, really. The, the actual data hub is there. That's all extended storage. And, uh, and those bits there are the communications links. Aye, simple. Yes, uh, y- yes, Jamie. Uh, computers, uh, memory units, uh, data processors. It's all here. Uh, highly advanced, I, I grant you. But uh, <clears throat> perhaps just this once so you can help me with it. Aye. Which bit do you want me to smash? Jamie, just go as the mood takes you. Aye. This'll be easy. This spanner thing should do it. It's waiting for us. Oh, my giddy Jamie, watch out. They go for the eyes. The parchment things swarm towards us. Their paper surfaces running with blunts, flicking themselves up through the air to scuttling over our clothes and up our bodies. They seem to know they could still get the doctor and focused on him. Gave me just one chance. Well done, Jamie. You've got an aptitude for the technical after all. It was over. As I got my breath back, I glanced outside, over to the distant rocket, just in time to see Victoria and Celsius' vehicle bang into the engines. It couldn't seem to stop. It, it span away caught the edge of a slope and rolled over. And as the doctor and I ran in horror towards it, there was a boom of an explosion and then a rolling, angry ball of flame rising into the sky. V is for... is for Victoria. Elsie once said to me that the story of her life, such as it was, was a story that had no character in it. I wondered a lot about that when they searched the wreckage of the vehicle and found nothing but a blackened mask. Nobody knew who she was underneath, and I think she was taking the chance to be a new character in a new story. I hope it was a good one. She'd thrown me out of the vehicle at the last minute and, of course, scared the doctor and Jamie terribly. There always seemed to be a lot of scares in those days. But when I think about it all now, I think the thing that scared me the most was myself. Travelling with the doctor meant I was like the unmasked Celsie. I could be anyone, do anything. But... I was a girl who had been raised to think in certain ways and aim for very specific roles. All those potential changes, I wasn't ready. I've changed a lot since then. I think I'd be ready now. But, unfortunately, we don't all have time machines. I've been looking again at the stranger's gift A tiny thing, like one of Father's snuff boxes. Heaven only knows what it's made of, but the material feels smooth, almost warm, almost... Oh! A small lid's opened up in it, and inside is a many-folded piece of paper. 
The sound, as I unfold it, makes me shudder even now. Dear Victoria, we only realised you still had a sheet of the parchment long after we left Amarindar, and it's been preying on the doctor's mind. He says that if Uth ever evolved wireless communication, whatever that is, then what we saw might happen all over again, perhaps even worse. We've been trying to find you, but you know what the TARDIS is like. I had hoped to see you again, but I'm beginning to suspect this will never happen. The doctor says he'll find you one day, so I've given him this letter for the day he does. I think you and I both know that it could be some considerable time. He's a great man, but his skills as a messenger leave a lot to be desired. Still, he did teach me to read and write in the end. This is the very first time I've written something without his help. What I'm most... As I read on through the pages, it occurs to me that sometimes paper can still be immensely powerful. Even when there's no alien thing controlling it, when there's no monsters, no threat. But when there are just words, then it can be the most powerful thing of all. I'm Ian Atkins. I'm the writer of um, Story 2, The Story of Extinction. The book was just a few pages, but as the Doctor turned each one, some of the words moved with him while pictures grew or, or shrank. It felt like something living. The whole set is kind of changing points of Jamie's life with the Doctor or through his travels. And one of the points I was quite eager that we looked at was his relationship with Victoria both in kind of very similar positions in that they're pushed together in the TARDIS, it's uncontrollable, you never know if you're going to get home. That They have interesting kind of relationships with the Doctor and, and Jamie kind of connects to both of them in that um, in some ways Jamie is kind of the responsible part of the Doctor and can kind of rein him in a bit sometimes and he's the sensible one and certainly in this script that's, that's how he's written. If the archaeologists are here, it's to look at ruins, but... This should be a perfect environment for life. I wonder what happened. Oh, I'm sure I'll get to the bottom of it. Oh, now, Doctor, here you go again, getting involved. He's having to be the strong one for Victoria, um, whereas up to this point, that hadn't been quite as necessary um, from a kind of courage point of view. Um, it was never really in question with him and the Doctor. Um, but with Victoria, he's kind of having to go that little more. It's a sort of big brother dynamic, maybe. But, you know, you also think, were they ever in love? And it's something I wanted to pursue. But you couldn't go too far with it because simply 
you know, there's not much evidence of it in the era there. So it had to be something where, although we could explore it and we didn't want to kind of press a reset button at the end or anything like that, um, you did need to actually say, okay, there's a reason why things actually haven't changed. I'm Deborah Wattling. I played Victoria Waterfield. Fraser Hines playing Jamie McCrimmon and the second Doctor. Um, I remember walking into the rehearsal room. It was really like a first day back at school. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, oh dear, hope it's all right. But quite honestly, Pat and Fraser made me so welcome that the nerves went. That was it. Mm. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, top of 45. I think, actually, um, Debbie, you can afford to be just a, uh, inject a little bit more bravery. OK. Yes, that must be it. Right. Big deep breath. Come along. Yeah, that's great. Righty-ho. Let's give it a whirl in your own time. Mm-hmm. Top of 44 again. You'll not be happy about this. I didn't hear you hesitate when I suggested it, Jamie McCrimmon. I'm not saying it's not a good idea, mind. It's so quiet. Where is everyone? Maybe they're all in the base there. Yes. Yes, that must be it. Come along. You and I had done a bit of pre-filming at um, Grimsdyke Hall, but Patrick wasn't... No, he wasn't there. When when I came to rescue from the Daleks. That's right. Yeah. So we'd met briefly, but not not Patrick. No, no. Mm. Well, um, I went out to see Innes Lloyd, the then producer, and he was a lovely man. Rather military, really, mm. with his blazer and shiny buttons uh, and his pipe. And we got on instantly. And I didn't have to read or anything like that. So that was it. Um, I was going to be there. It would be a lot harder to come back if there were terrible memories, if if we hadn't liked Patrick, if we he hadn't liked us. You know, it would be very hard to kind of replicate a, a happy time. But it, it's, it's lovely to come back and... Do happy yes. you remember? All the memories, they're lodged up here, I promise you, in my head. And uh, I will never forget my time in who albeit it was only a year. But it seems to be a huge part of my life, and I'm never, ever allowed to forget it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an interesting one, because much as Tegan, years years later, gives it up because it's kind of stopped being fun, and she's a bit fed up of being terrified every week. That, that's exactly what happens with Victoria. She gets to a point where she says, no, you know, realistically, I'm supposed to be being protected by you, Doctor, and actually, I'm terrified every week. And, and she turns her back on it, and I kind of wanted that approach to other things that, that scared her, and much as it's monsters for everyone... I think we can also get scared of emotional situations. So um, what the heart of this story then came about was actually let's let's actually have Victoria at that point where she kind of realises where things could end up going with Jamie. And rather than welcoming that, she's just scared of it and, and she realises and then she sort of takes a step back. That crucially, the, the sort of later part of episode one of this story, that, that's where that happens in that, you know, that you've got the two of them sort of trapped in the TARDIS and it's the two of them and they rely on each other. But they're also in quite a close situation in that you know she's helping Jamie read. He's quite vulnerable from that point of view, um, and, and they're close. And I think she realizes, oh, actually, hang on, this could lead on. I, 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 you know, there could be love here. I'm scared of that. And and in, in this point, she's desperate to rush away from it and, and get them back out the TARDIS. Um, and I think that's kind of in small scale. That's what she does much later when when in Fury from the Deep when she's kind of had enough. Um, so that was the. That was kind of the emotional heart of the story, and that was the, the Jamie, uh, the beat, if you want, for what happens. It was always sort of at 
the back of the mind, I suppose. But Jane was always very protective towards Victoria. Because she was a lady in his that mind. Was she a was a lady. Um, Polly was showed too much leg, you know. And, <laughs> and you just showed an ankle. And uh, then he got to sort of, when you started wearing a miniskirt, oh, maybe we'd, that, that would dress Shorter and shorter. Yes. <laughs> I'd had a story about where kind of a planet of monsters where there were no monsters for a long, long time. It's one of those things you keep ticking back on. And it, it doesn't work in certain formats, um, or it's a very different story. If this was a prose story, I think you could play a lot more with the text of it. I mean, you could actually have kind of fields of text representing the the, the, the story form. Whereas when it's performed, especially in audio, especially, you can't really do that. So it was a question of wanting that dynamic, wanting that kind of um, realisation that actually it's what the threat is what we tell ourselves. It's not actually something out there. Um, but what we tell ourselves actually defines what we think is out there. So, you know, if you, if enough people tell you about terrible monsters beyond the walls, you don't question it. You just think they're there. You don't actually think, oh, hang on, where's this story come from in the first place? And it's, in some ways, it's a comment on these kind of internet memes and, um, you know, hysterias that you get occasionally, um, where initially just a few phrases can snowball and, and suddenly you're in an avalanche of, of Information and everyone believes it. If you look at the notes I've given you, Corvin Base has unearthed evidence of hunter-gatherer settlements, all of which died out shortly after cave paintings of savage, four-armed creatures started appearing in their records. None of you can deny this now, can you? One of the scientists, a, a sniffy, impatient man, pointed out to the doctor that the other research sites were reporting similar that evidence of terrible monsters had been reported. Monsters which, thankfully, seem to have died out. Is in your end that you observe chaps? No, it's good. OK. If we're happy to go for it, yep. let's give it a whirl. OK, thanks very much. OK? Yep. We nearly bumped into Celsie when we got to the communications room. She stood frozen in the doorway, her mouth open in dismay. On the communications board, light after light was coming on, flashing away, alarms sounding in distress as camp after camp missed reporting in. There was no one here. The room was a mess, scattered with papers like a storm had blown through it. And so I've got the paper thing, and the paper therefore seemed to have to be part of the plot. Um, and I didn't want it to be a story without monsters either, because although ironically it's a, without the monsters you think you're going to get, the idea of doing a, a, a trout era story that doesn't have monsters in it, it, I mean, it's quite a rare thing for the series, and it's known as the monster era. So uh, something, I kind of envisage a sort of stop-motion origami creatures, which, um, you know, I don't think has been done before, and it's it's quite an interesting thing. Also, it enables you to do a lot of kind of uh, interesting sound design with sort of tick, tick, ticks, and, and, and that, that paper touching down on on hard surfaces. And also that lovely sort of scrumple of, of, of a sheet of paper becoming something very quickly. But it was going to be computer-driven, so that was kind of leading to the idea of... Um, it got us onto websites and, and, and things like that. And I used to work for a long time for a, a user experience agency, which is a, a kind of discipline that focuses on how we relate to things like, for example, internet sites and how you look at certain parts of a page and where the attention is and how you get people's attention. And... Um, I was kind of discussing these ideas at one point with Simon Gurrier, and we were talking about possibly him even actually taking 
my my bits so far and him actually going on to writing it but then um some other other stories came up and, and sadly simon had to kind of give it all back but the one conversation we had about it um his eyes really lit up about the idea of um i think it's called clickbait now where you're kind of actively trying to engage people's interest if you've got a story form that wants to be told um and and thrives by being repeated as you know any life form looks to replicate itself and, and make more of itself um so there was this idea that you could actually fascinate people almost to death um, by just drawing their attention so much. And, and um, it, it had some resonance with what's going on today with websites and, and as I say, clickbait, um, while also enabling us to tell quite a, a 1960s monster story with um, uh, with the second Doctor. And I, I also like, it's kind of an unusual structure in that for once the Doctor's not being suspected um, but he's actually, you know, these people have said, oh, here's someone really clever. We can use this in a you know, non-mind-draining sort of way. It moved! How did it do that? It, it folded itself into a creature! Each sheet has motor cells, but I've never seen it do this. Jamie! Jamie, get back! That one's going to... getting ready to jump! Jump? What are you talking about? Ah! It was going for my face! I think Jamie is kind of thinking in terms of not entirely being sure about romance and stuff, but he's kind of trying to make presents for Victoria and stuff, and he's sort of thinking like that. And um, it it was quite difficult to write. It had to be very sensitive. And, and, I mean, certainly, like, Jamie learning to read, I think there was a lot of concern about that, that it didn't make Jamie look stupid, which, I mean, of course he isn't. Um, And, indeed, if someone can't read, that doesn't make them stupid at all. It may just mean that they're not educated that they've not had a chance to attend school for five years and and of course Jamie hasn't Um, and he's had a very different life and um, it was nice to actually have that beat and I'd I'd looked into it and there were certainly suggestions down the line that Jamie had learnt to read but there were also lots of references to the fact that at at certain points he can't. Got as far, oh no you you said, G, G as for grapefruit. It's grapefruit. But it sounds like gar when you say it then, doesn't it? And you said... Sometimes in English it sounds one way and is spelled another. Oh, no wonder us Scots have always mistrusted the English. Even the language is twisty-turny. Oh, uh, present company accepted. I think there was a final reference somewhere to the Doctor having taught him. So it was another um, aspect of Simon Gurria's suggestions that what if Jamie is being taught to read but frankly the lesson isn't sitting in is sinking in because he's distracted and um which i I absolutely loved and that that becomes you know that's the crux of the the final sort of confrontation where where jamie's actually become safe because he's not learned the lessons which is um it's quite a nice kind of turning it's on its head to the the usual dramatic standards where you know you you win through at the end because you've learned the lessons um so uh but I, i was then able to kind of follow up the there are other stories where it's revealed that, that Jamie is eventually taught to read by the Doctor, so we were able to have that final bit where he's the first letter he's ever written on his own, having finally been taught, is to Victoria. It was a brilliant web of fear, because, you know, I'd actually forgotten that my father was in it. Oh, really? And all of a sudden he walked on, <laughs> on the screen. I oh. went to Fraser. Oh. It's father. He said, you fool, I know it is. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> And, and then I was watching a thing, oh, and then I realised, wait a minute, the last time I saw this was 40-odd years ago in, you know, in the BBC green room before having supper and recording that show's episode. 
And suddenly you went, oh, I haven't seen this for 40 years. It caused a stir, didn't it? Did, yeah, it did. All the it? fans, etc. Front, front page headlines as well yes. in, in the Daily Mirror. Yeah, front page headline. News was at a, 10, wasn't it? Yeah. As well. I was on the one o'clock news of BBC Four. <laughs> I got the phone call saying, Will you will you please um be on the one o'clock news? Radio, of course. I went, Yes, yes, when? I went in ten minutes. <laughs> I went, Thanks. I did news at ten as well. And I was, I was able to say which they cut out Fraser Hines, News at ten, London. <laughs> <laughs>